Father, we thank you that as we look into your word, your Holy Spirit gives it life in each one of our lives. God, even as we come into this season of of Christmas, the birth of Christ, God, that beginning of the unfolding of your plan of coming to earth to eventually offer up yourself as a sacrifice for our sins. God, we pray that by your Spirit we will get greater and greater understanding, greater and greater revelation of the amazing love The amazing love that caused that plan to unfold. And also the amazing sacrifice that was included in it. Just pray, Father, that your spirit will anoint the words I speak. And God, anything that's not of you would just fall to the ground and be useless and worthless. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first I want you to just use your imagination a little bit. And imagine imagine that you're in the king's palace. And in the king's palace, there's all kinds of excitement because a long-anticipated, long-awaited prince has been born to the king. And surrounding the king are all of his servants and advisors, and, and they're all trying to share ideas of what do you think would be the best way to announce and celebrate this great event? And the group is throwing all kinds of ideas out there of how they could announce and how they could celebrate, the kinds of celebration that they could have. And the, and the king is just listening and taking it all in. And, and finally, it, it kind of quiets down, and the king is there, and he notices one man hasn't spoken, hasn't given any advice and given any counsel. So the king looks at that man and says, What about you? What do you have to say? What ideas do you have to share how we can announce and celebrate this amazing Gift, the birth of the prince. And the man looks at him and he quietly says, Well, I think what we should do is wait until the very dark of night and then send us a messenger out into the the hills surrounding and then announce to a small group of shepherds that the prince has been born. Well, it sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? What a way to announce the prince. What a way for God to announce the birth of his king, our king, Jesus. Because basically that was his, his plan. The, the event that had been anticipated for centuries, the Messiah coming to set the people free. In our understanding, the Messiah coming to set all mankind for eternity free from the power of sin and death. And it take, announcement, the initial announcement takes place in the middle of the night, out in the wilderness, to a group of lowly shepherds. It kind of makes you wonder, what in the world were you thinking, God? But we all know, I hope we all know, that God doesn't do anything randomly. Everything has a purpose. And oftentimes in Scripture, a lot of the things that that we hear and read through the prophets and through other parts of the Scripture, you know, God, God speaks in ways that we don't even grasp initially. There's such depth to it and such greater and greater revelation as the Holy Spirit kind of just peels it back to us over time and as we spend time studying the Word. But I want to start this morning by reading some very familiar scripture about the birth and announcement of Jesus. And I'm going to start first in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can open them. I didn't put it on the overhead. If you don't have a Bible with, I would just encourage you to listen. I'm going to read starting at verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 12, maybe 15. Now it came about 
in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone traveling to his home city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, leaving the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David... There has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began to say one to another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. In this particular part of the scripture and the story of the birth of Jesus, the emphasis is on the announcement. And it's on the shepherds. The lowly shepherds. Those that God chose to first announce this magnificent event. And we see that the shepherds responded immediately with excitement with anticipation, with love, joy. They were ready to go worship immediately. Then I want to turn to Matthew and read from the Gospel of Matthew about the visit of the wise men. Starting in chapter 2 of Matthew, I'm going to start reading at verse 1 there also. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, magi, wise men from the east, arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king... They went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. 
and opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Here we see the wise men coming to visit. They had recognized a star. And they got up and traveled to follow that star. Again, it says they were excited. They were looking for the king so that they might worship him. And I want to read one last verse in chapter 16 of, or verse 16 of chapter 2 in Matthew. We see this other character besides the shepherds, besides the wise men. We see Herod. And it says this, And when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew, killed all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its surrounding environs from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. We see three different groups of people. One, the individual Herod, the shepherds, and the Magi or the wise men. And we notice how differently Herod reacts compared to the other two groups. You ever wonder why people react so differently to the same news, the same information, the same truths? Some with happiness, acceptance, joy. Others, the same information. It turns into something else. A darkness, worry, fear, whatever it is. It's the totally different from the others. We're going to look at these three groups of people, or these, the shepherds, the wise men, and Herod, and see if we can learn something about the way they responded and what it took for God to really move in their lives, to really use them. And we're going to do this by looking at a kind of a combination of the two texts that I have just read. The first thing I want us to look at is the reality that evidently both the shepherds and the wise men were prepared to receive the news. They were prepared. The shepherds were prepared when, prepared when the news came. Their response was immediate. Let us go. Somehow their hearts were opened. Their minds were opened to receive the truth. Likewise with the wise men. And we'll look at them a little more a little later on. But in a similar way, they were prepared. Now when I look at the shepherds, I want to go back to them for a minute. And I told a couple of people, including my wife, I said, we're going to take a rabbit trail in my message, and the rabbit trail might be longer than the message. She said, good, it's probably better than your message. <laughs> but the rabbit trail, I want to talk, she didn't say that. <laughs> the rabbit trail I want to take has to do with the shepherds, because we know that God doesn't do things by accident. So my way of thinking, I read something like this, and I go, I wonder why those shepherds? Why did he choose them? What made them special, if anything? Because I don't believe it was random. And we see God in the Bible, all of the things, the details that he, that he fulfilled, the prophecies that he fulfilled, the things about the birth of Jesus that, that were so accurate in every detail, you know, that the baby was going to be born of a virgin. It had to happen that way. There was going to be born in this little town of Bethlehem, outside of Jerusalem. It was going to be of the lineage of David. All these things were so specific. Why 
these shepherds? Well, I want to share some things with you from the oral history of the Jews, written down in what was called or is called the Mishnah, and also from a, a book written by Alfred Edersheim. Alfred Edersheim wrote a book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Now, they are not Bible, so they are not the inerrant word of God. But just because something's not in the Bible doesn't mean it's not true, right? I'm standing on the stage. You won't find that in the Bible. But it is true. And the Jews, of all people, especially when these things were written, the Mishnah was somewhere around... 40, 50, 60 A.D. And what Mishnah is, they were concerned because most of the laws, the Jewish laws, the Jewish traditions were passed down orally for centuries. Orally. And and they were afraid because of what was going on, some of those traditions and, and laws would be lost. So a rabbi wrote them down. And he wrote them in what was called the Mishnah. And in this, it laid out all kinds of things that the Jewish religion was about. Their traditions, temple worship, sacrifice, all sorts of things. And the book, Jesus the the Messiah, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, when Edersheim wrote this, he wrote it in the 1800s. So it's been written 150, 180 years ago. And what he looked at, first of all, is the Bible. What does the Bible say? And then he combined what he knew from the Bible with the historical aspect of what was going on in the world at the time of Jesus' birth. And then he looked at it from a Jewish perspective. Jewish tradition, the Jewish culture, the Jewish religion. After all, Jesus is a Jew. So he looked at all of that, and I want to share some things that I think are interesting at least. And they really can maybe give me a greater appreciation anyway, and maybe you, of some of the details, of the possibilities of what God might have done here. First of all, you need to know a little geography. Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center. That's where the temple was. That's where all the worship took place. That's where all the animals were sacrificed. Where is Bethlehem? Well, Bethlehem from Jerusalem was about an hour's walk. Five miles or so from Jerusalem. Very, very close. So you can see when the wise men showed up and traveled to Bethlehem, and Herod, he just, well, go find him. Five miles away. An hour's walk. So it's very close. And the hills of Bethlehem were filled with sheep. And many of the herds and many of the flocks of sheep in the hills surrounding Bethlehem were being raised for temple worship. The Mishnah very clearly talks about the the. The sheep, the, the uh, sacrificial sheep, the sacrificial lambs, being raised nearby there. And when you look at this, I want to put up a, a slide, a picture of, of something called Megdal Eder. It's an old tower. You can't see it real well. It's not a very good picture, and it's an old, old picture. It's the ruins of a tower. And Megdal Eder means the tower of the flock, a watchtower. And it was located on the northern edge of Bethlehem on the road to Jerusalem. And this tower was designed for the the shepherds. When they had sheep in that particular area, this particular tower was located. They could go into that tower and they could go up on the tower and they could watch 
for animals or thieves or whatever, anything that might threaten their flocks. And a very interesting thing, according to the Jewish tradition, is that the base of that particular tower, the bottom floor, if you would, was the birthing room, where during the birthing season, the shepherds would take the ewes that were going to give birth, and they would take them into this birthing room of the tower, Migdal Adar. And this is, Megdal Adar is referenced in the scripture a couple of different places. One here, the tower or the watchtower. It's also referenced in Old Testament. The location is exactly there. And it has a religious and a spiritual significance in the, the heritage of the Jewish people. And another interesting thing, in the Mishnah it's described that the sheep who would be birthed and come from the hills around Bethlehem that were sacrificed daily at the temple came from here. Now you may not know this, but every single day there would be a lamb and it specifically had to be a lamb. It was clearly defined how, what type of lamb, the sex without spot with blemish. But the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. in the morning, it would be sacrificed. And a second lamb was to be sacrificed, the same qualifications, the same requirements, at the ninth hour of the day, 3 p.m. Every day, every day, year after year after year. So all of those lambs would have to be sacrificed. And besides that, during Passover, they would actually slaughter tens of thousands of lambs. And most of the people who would make that trip to Jerusalem for the Passover, if they came from any distance at all, they wouldn't bring their animals. They could buy what they could afford, and many would buy the lambs from the shepherds who had their flocks near Bethlehem. Now this group of shepherds at Migdal Adar were well trained in what the requirements were by the Jewish rabbis, the Jewish priests. They had, to, they had to handle the sheep in a specific way. They had to be inspected. And according to Jewish tradition, according to Jewish tradition, they would take the ewes into these birthing rooms and they would give birth to a lamb. And what the shepherds would do, because it was a ceremony, it needed to be ceremonially clean. This was not just a, a dumpy birthing room with animal manure and feces everywhere. This is a very clean somewhat sanitary place. And you know what they would do according to the Jewish heritage, according to the Mishnah, according to the oral law that was written down? They would take that little you at birth and they would immediately wrap it in swaddling cloth and place it in the manger. Now a manger isn't a stable. A manger in that tower was a shallow, hollow spot hewn out out of a piece of limestone rock. And they would take that little lamb, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and they would lay it in the manger until it would calm down so it would not hurt itself or blemish itself or damage itself in any way while it was starting to get its feet and legs under him. And then when it was calmed down, they would unwrap it and then they would inspect it to see if there was any flaws, if it was a lamb without spot or without blemish. And this was 
done over and over and over and over and over and over for hundreds of years by the shepherds. Some of the writers of the, of the oral law in the, in the Mishnah actually say and declare because this was the home of David, King David, he was a little shepherd boy near Bethlehem. He quite possibly could have been one of those shepherds. We don't know, but it's a possibility. And another very interesting thing is, about 40 yards from this tower, archaeologists have found the remains of a home. And of course, the archaeologists are convinced, and I have no idea, that what they found may very well be the original birthplace of David. And in our story, put up that picture of the, uh, the, modern, or the stable that we all see and love so well from all the movies that we look at and all that stuff. You may or may not know this, but very little of what you and I think we know about that night isn't true. When you think of the word a manger, how many, well, you don't have to raise your hand, many of us think of a stable. There's the manger. Well, the manger is the little feed trough. I'm pretty sure there weren't other little kids sitting around playing with the animals, according to that picture. It may have been a hewn-out cave, possibly. The wise men, the magi, they didn't get anywhere near where Jesus was born. If we just paid attention to what I read, it, it took them about two years to get there. And it says they went to the house where Jesus was at, and found Mary his mother. So a lot of what we think we know is truth about this whole event isn't necessarily truth whatsoever. And as I was reading these things from the Mishnah and Edersheim studies of the, of the times, man, it caught my attention. Not that I know it's true, and I'm not offering that to you as if it's truth without a doubt. But as I find myself thinking about God and his attention to detail, Why wouldn't the shepherds who took care of the sacrificial lambs be the first? And in Micah chapter 4, verse 8, go ahead and put that scripture up there. If you're familiar with Micah at all, we'll look at another slide in just a second, but just a few verses after this is the the prophecy of where the Messiah is going to be born. And in this verse it says, As for you, O watchtower of the flock, Magdal Adar, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. In the Mishnah, there are many of the early Jewish writers who believed that scripture was a prophecy of where the Messiah was going to come from. Now, there are many other theologians who read that as a prophecy in regard to the city of Jerusalem exclusively. I don't know. But I do know many prophecies have dual meanings in the Old Testament. And as you go just a few verses beyond this in Micah 5, verse 2, it gets very clear. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from the old and from the ancient times. And most all theologians are in agreement that that is a prophecy about where the Christ, the Messiah, was going to be born. Just a few verses after 
the prophecy about Migdal Adar. So could these shepherds, what do you do with all that stuff I just shared with you? Whatever you want. A lot of it's not in the scripture. But if you would study this and you would look, there are some scriptural things that really connect with it. And it seems to be very possible that those shepherds were a very special group of shepherds. And those shepherds would have been a perfect choice for God to declare and reveal that the Lamb of God, Jesus the Messiah, had been born. And an interesting thing, when you read the scriptures that I read, and, and I know not everybody thinks like I do, praise God, but when those angels said, for this will be a sign for you, you're going to find a baby wrapped in these swaddling cloths lying in a manger. My mind goes, well, yeah, where? Where am I going to find the manger for crying out loud? Everybody's got a manger. Well, in their mind, if it was this group of men, they would have known instantly. It would have been in the birthing room of the watchtower of the flock of Migdal Adar. In that manger, they would have ran and known exactly where they were. And one other thing to just confuse you. The word that's translated in really is the word that is used to describe the guest chamber of a house. Just for your imaginations to run a little bit wild, what if the archaeologists who have found these ruins about 40 yards from that tower of a house, what if Mary and Joseph went to their family home at Bethlehem and there was no room in the guest chamber of that house? And they said, but there is a very clean birthing chamber just 45 yards down the hill. Food for thought. I figure if you believe the kings and everybody were at that stable with all the cute little animals, you maybe believe this story too. But seriously, one of the things in my mind that caused me to really think about this as I was studying it was, you know what? Those ancient Jews who wrote down the Mishnah, they didn't want to do anything that would point to Jesus as the Messiah. So anything in what I've just showed you that points to Jesus the Messiah would have not been their goal or objective. So far, my rabbit trail has been quite long. But we'll stop there. Irregardless, they were prepared to hear the message, whoever those shepherds were. The wise men, as I mentioned, were also prepared. As you read the story, you understand that they had evidently studied some of the writings of the great prophets of the Old Testament. Jeremiah, in particular, and others. They were looking for a star, and they had found this star. They were waiting, and they were hoping, and they were watching. And in my mind, can you imagine a group of educated astronomers, magi, wise men, whatever you want to call them, thinking they've found something and wondering, I wonder if this is really it. I wonder if, I wonder if this is really going to happen. Is this our imagination that all of a sudden there's this supernatural brightness in the sky? They were ready. They were ready to hear. They weren't just going to sit and say, well, I guess we were right. When they saw the star, they knew. 
In contrast to the shepherds and Her- them and the, the wise men, there's Herod. When Herod first heard these wise men were in town asking questions, it says he was troubled. And we read a little bit further, he was more than troubled. He was filled with fear and anger and hatred. To the point of sending his soldiers that five-mile trip to Bethlehem and killing every child under two years of age. He wasn't prepared. Christmas had come for him just like it had came for everybody else. But he rejected the truth. So the first thing that there needs to be in our lives is hearts that are prepared to hear and listen to God. For God to really move through us, to use us, to work through us, we need to be prepared. The second thing I think we see from these people is that they were willing to make a journey of faith. And a journey of faith is required to be used by God. The shepherds heard and they responded immediately. What was their response? Let's go to Bethlehem and see. Let's leave our flock and go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. They didn't ask any questions. I mean, put yourself in those, your, their place. You were sitting there around a campfire or whatever you were doing, and all of a sudden, there's angels declaring the Messiah has been born. And we see no, no discussion. Gee, do you think, do you guys see that? What do we have for supper again? Are we dreaming? Is this possible? I'm not even going to pretend I saw that, because if I'm the only one, I'm going to be nuts. None of that. Instantaneous. They were ready to take a step of faith and say, let's go, check this thing out. Obedient response. The wise men. The wise men. We don't know exactly where the wise men came from. They came from the east. We understand from the story when when we see that they had basically been following the star for it looks like two years. They'd come a long way. A journey of faith. They left all that they were familiar with. They left all that they were comfortable with. They loaded up a bunch of camels with all of their goods. They loaded up gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they just left. Can you imagine a journey of faith like that? Can you imagine the people say, hey, where are you guys going? Uh, We don't know. Well, how long is it going to take? We're not sure. Well, do you have a map? Uh, no, we're going to follow that star and see where it takes us. The people would have thought they were nuts. What are you going to see on this journey? What are you looking for? A king, oh, a king, great. King of, what's his name? Uh, We don't know. We don't know. A journey of faith. You and I have been required to take a journey of faith. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've already taken some steps on a journey of faith. And you've already left behind you a trail of some people who think you're nuts. You're crazy. The message of Jesus Christ and our need for a Savior fell on your heart and my heart and we responded in obedience and accepted that gift. And, and then you try to explain that to someone who doesn't know, who doesn't get it, to under, doesn't understand. And they go, you're going to do what? You're going to try to live your life for who? You can't see Him. You can't touch Him. Where does He live? You're nuts. Anybody been there? It requires a journey of faith. Now on the flip side, we have Herod. Herod, No faith. 
Really, what we see here, I think, is a classic example of faith and fear. They can't coexist. When, when Herod heard this, he was not ready to receive the Messiah. It says he was troubled. In verse 13, he said, Go and destroy every single child under the age of two. He was enraged, it said in verse 16. Why did he react that way? It challenged his lifestyle. It was going to ruin his little world. It was going to make things different. It was, going to, it was going to change his position of power and prestige and what people thought of him. Who is this king? I'm supposed to be king. It changes everything. You share your story with somebody who doesn't believe and whose heart's not been prepared. They're going to respond more often than not like a Herod. Are you kidding? I've got to give up all that? I can't do this, that, or the other thing anymore. It's going to ruin my life. Once again, you guys are nuts to do this. Bethlehem was less than an hour's walk away for Herod to go and see the Messiah. And instead, he was trying to figure out how to kill him. Why in the world do people respond so differently? to the truth of God. So we not only have to have our hearts prepared, we need to be ready and willing to make that journey of faith. And the last point is connected to the journey of faith. You have to be willing to pay the price. Now whoever those shepherds were and whatever their flocks were used for, that was their livelihood. At the very least, when you said Bethlehem, It was almost synonymous with sacrificial lambs in the Jewish culture at that time. So if these were shepherds around Bethlehem, between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, they were probably raising sheep to be sold to be sacrificial lambs. And that was their livelihood. That's how they made their money. And yet when they heard the word, immediately, no question about let's draw straws and see who's going to stay back and watch the sheep. None of those worries and concerns about what about our stuff. It says they got up and said, let's go. We don't know how far it was to that place, but they were willing to leave anything. It didn't matter. Whatever the cost, they were ready to take the journey of faith. They weren't attached to anything when it came to the Messiah. When we look at the wise men, as I said before, they left everything they knew. I mean... Not only did they leave behind their homes and families if they had them, whatever their, their way to make money, wherever, however they accumulated this, all this gold and frankincense and myrrh, whatever it was, they just left it all behind. And probably as big a deal to a lot of people is, what if they went on this journey and they came back and they didn't find anything? Their reputations would be ruined. They were willing to pay the price. On the flip side... What does Herod do? Herod turns and he embraces his own throne. He's going to do anything and everything he can to protect his throne. His heart was filled with fear of what he might lose. Fear instead of faith. He wants to cling to everything that he has. He was afraid of losing it. I think these are three reasons why so many people respond so differently to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many, 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 many people 
most of the people in America are going to be celebrating Christmas. Whatever that means to them. To us as Christians, what we're celebrating is the birth of God in the flesh. Coming to humble himself. Surrender rights, power, and glory to walk amongst men. To walk the dusty roads that men walked. To eventually be arrested, spit upon, beaten, and nailed to a cross. An unbelievable act of surrender. That's what we as Christians should be celebrating when we think of Christmas. Love? Absolutely. Has there been a greater act of love than the incarnation of God? This is what we should be celebrating, what we should be remembering, what we should be sharing. But when we share it, you know what's going to happen, right? We may find somebody whose heart has been prepared. We may find somebody who's ready to take that journey of faith. But in all likelihood, we're going to run into some people who have the attitude of a Herod, and they think you're crazy, and they want nothing to do with it. And we can't change that except through prayer and continuing to share the, the gospel and to live lives surrendered to God. You know, when we, when we look at God, this act of love, surrendering himself, and our natural minds can't get it because we cannot conceive the glory that Jesus had before he came to earth. But he surrendered that glory and came to the form of a baby. He surrendered much of his rights, much of his power to live in a fleshly body. An act of surrender. And the response from us should be similar. An act of surrender. Us surrendering our lives to him. To live our lives for him, for his glory. The title that I never did put up there, I don't think, did I? This message? Does anybody care about a title? The title was something about the choice that confronts us at Christmas. You either receive or reject the truth of what Christmas really is. You receive or reject the truth that Jesus was who he really was. You choose to receive or reject the reality that he died for our sins and was raised from the dead. And you choose to receive or reject the reality and the truth that he is the Messiah and there is no other way. No other way to be redeemed and brought back into relationship with the Father. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are amazed continually of your astounding plan of salvation. The reality that it was formed before the foundations of the world and it was played out on this earth through the life of Jesus. And God, in the truth and the reality of what took place over 2,000 years ago is still having impact on human lives today and every day. That the gift that is offered is still available to all. Lord, I'm so thankful that you died for all man's sin and that all may come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that by your grace and your mercy, 
you would continue to prepare hearts and minds to receive that truth. I pray, Lord, for each of us this season of Christmas that we would stay ever alert to opportunities to present to our friends, to our family, to our loved ones the good news of gospel of Jesus Christ and what that birth meant. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.